It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Wednesday morning, the 27th of February. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. A 39-year-old man is struggling for his life in hospital after being shot in broad daylight in Drogheda. Brendan McGuire was one of three men sitting in a Vauxhall Astra when the drive-by shooting took place at a quarter to three yesterday afternoon. He had just come out of a gym. A black Volkswagen Passat pulled up close to the Astra. A number of shots were fired. McGuire, a passenger in the car, was struck at least once by one of up to possibly five shots. The other two occupants were not injured, but McGuire suffered injuries to his neck and to his arm. He's undergone emergency surgery and is in a critical condition in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. The volley of shots in a busy retail park where shoppers in Waddy's DIY, Smith's Toy Shop and Mothercare went about their business is linked to an ongoing criminal feud in Drogheda. The fear is that while this feud has been simmering, it is now set to explode. The attack is the second attack in in less than a year, which has seen an attempt to murder one of the Maguire family. Brendan is the older brother of Owen Maguire, who has been left paralysed and in a wheelchair after being shot six times at a halting site in Drogheda last July. Let's talk about this with Richie Culhan, who's a former guarded detective and a Fine Gael councillor, and Pio Smith, who's a Labour Party councillor in the town. And you're both very welcome to the programme and thanks for coming in to us this morning. Richie Culhan. Where were the Guardi yesterday? Is Drata being police at all? There was no chase or no, no, not even a description of the assailants here. Yeah, look at I mean the Guardi can't be everywhere at the same time. They weren't anywhere yesterday. This car, by the looks of things, by the looks of things, fellas walked into a retail park in the middle of the day and shot five times at a a man sitting in a car. Hundreds of people around, uh, and that car then drove off. It it seems to Terman Fecken. There wasn't even as much as a chase, let alone a description of anybody in the car or whether there was more than one person in the car. There was no policing of Drogheda yesterday. It's pretty clear. No, I don't think that's true to say, Mike, that there was no policing. Do you not think that? Got a call? Do you not think they got a call? 
Well, the guards were, of course, were, you know, they can't be everywhere at the same time. This where were they? Where were they? This is an we well, get, I don't we know, got, but I mean, we get, calls from, are, we get calls from people all the time saying the guards were in the chipper or in the local shop doing uh, grocery shopping well, or, or something. Where were they? No, I mean, or sitting in the station. Having, having worked in, in Angarda, Chicago where were for 27 they? years, I know how difficult it to is drive, to be everywhere at the same time. To drive time. from the M1 retail the, park to Seapoint. The, the fact uh, of the and matter is... No pursuit, no chase, no description. It's unbelievable. This replicates itself all over the country and indeed all over every other country when there's an armed robbery or there's that there's a, no there's police something. well I mean you don't you don't catch every individual Some, that's involved sometimes in I hear of people shooting other people and, the, and there's crime. Garda helicopters and there's all sorts of, of chases there and there's a description and people the Garda aren't even the Garda don't even seem to be saying that the, the, the getaway car went to Termin Fekin Michael it's all very well when you watch CSI Miami these things don't happen in reality you don't have guards everywhere uh, at you know at, when, when a crime occurs unfortunately the problem that we have and we're faced with at the moment is that we have a lack of resources which we've been calling for for a number of number of years. So, if, so, so, in, in, so if I want Drogheda. to go in and rob the till in the gym, uh, uh, or if I want to go in and rob the toy shop, I can do that and I won't be pursued. Is that well, that's that's the way? Because well, the guards can't be everywhere all the I time. Think the guards were there within within about three or four minutes of this incident happening and it being reported. So, I mean, I think that you're taking. Well, a we chance. don't know that. The fact of the matter is, is that we don't have enough guards mm. on the ground in Drogheda. We had over the Christmas period mm. eighteen extra guardi, which was which were resources I, I, that I, could could have been. Smith, do you used. believe that? I mean, that, that's just we not believable, now, is we it? The, the, the guards were there within three or four minutes. If they were there within three or four minutes, they would have known what direction the car went off in and they would have pursued it and they'd have more information for the public in, in terms of the appeals they're making today. Is that not correct? Well, my understanding is that the guards were there very rapidly after the shooting. Uh, <clears throat> but exactly, you cannot, you cannot arrive at the crime scene and then you cannot follow the perpetrators of a crime when there's only one car to police the whole area. That's the reality of life in Drought at the minute. Mm. And the town is not being policed properly simply because of the fact that there isn't resources. So, for example, you look at a shift in Drought and you can have five guards on a shift, maybe mm. six. Now, if you've got three of them in the station <clears throat> and one in the car uh, and, and maybe one trying to do some type of community mm. policing, if you're lucky, that is, mm. if you're lucky. Mm. Whereas if you look at Dundalk and Sligo and other towns similar to Drogheda, they've mm. got 12 guards in the shift. So, I mean, let's be honest with this. How are we going to police this town, the largest town in the country, mm. with the cohort of guards that we have, albeit the fact that they're very good at what they do, they're very mm. effective, they're a dedicated uh, unit in Drogheda, but they cannot do it. But sure, that's crazy. It is crazy. I, I mean, in other words, uh, if you were of such a mind, you could follow the Garda car, the one and only Garda car. Uh, and when it was up in Mel, let's say, uh, tell your friends who are up at home base on the other side of town to fire a shot, get them to go over there and go up and rob Woody's. But there is any coincidence that the, the attack took place yesterday when there was no emergency response units around. I mean, they've been called off. Where are you know, they? They're gone. I mean, they were gone. They've been taken away from the town. Oh, was the, a, the decision made with, by, yeah. I presume, the commissioner. From Richard January, wasn't yeah. it? From the beginning yeah, of January. they're gone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is there an yeah. overtime mm. budget in, mm. in, in the Garda station in Drogheda now at the minute? Well, it was last last week, the, the, the Garda commissioner, absolutely, mm. P.O., the Garda commissioner instructed the uh, senior officers there to uh, ban overtime completely. So now you have the farcical situation that we have uh, a, a very serious investigation going on. We have an incident room set up, which is investigating a murder mm. and the drugs gangs and the feud going on in Drogheda and mm. you also have a potential murder uh, certainly that happened last night mm. and they're investigating that mm. and we have no overtime to do it whatsoever. Mm. The senior officers, um, I've been led to believe, are at this particular point in time applying for overtime to carry out mm. menial jobs 
uh, and when I when I say menial jobs, these are the everyday jobs in the gar- that re- that's required for policing in the town. The um, the the Gardaí, in actual fact, as a result of this feud that's going on, mm. they have to. Uh, on a daily basis, call to the individuals who are before the courts at the moment and on very strict bail conditions to ensure that they're there. Now, that doesn't require one guard. It requires probably three guard to call to these very dangerous individuals mm. who are involved in the feud. So that is a drain on resources also. And um, just for people that, uh, who aren't aware, it's like any other retail park. It's the kind of shops you'd typically expect. Mother care is unusual in that. I'd say half the customers go in with buggies. Uh, the toy shop uh, speaks for itself. Uh, and normal people going about very, very busy place. Uh, and this happens broad daylight, quarter to three uh, in the afternoon. Five shots fired. Uh, and God knows if M- Mr. Maguire was the intended victim or, or not. Uh, but I, I know people who look like him and quite often you hear of uh, it being mistaken identity. It's the second attempt, though, on the life of one of his family. As I mentioned earlier on, his brother is in a wheelchair after being shot six times. It's the third attempted murder in Drada linked to this feud and three actual murders are linked to this feud. It couldn't be more serious and both public representatives in front of me this morning telling us effectively that the town is not being policed. It's not being policed. And I mean, like we, we spoke before about this ongoing. Uh, we compared what's happening in Drada uh, to what happened in Limerick. And we've seen the resources that were put into Limerick and we've seen the effects of those resources. And, you know, it's staggering to think that this, in, in June of last year, uh, one member of that family was shot and paralysed at a time when there was no overtime in the Garda station in Drada. And then we get some additional resources. Richie said we got 19 mm. extra guards for a small period of time. We kept yeah. three. They just come we out kept of te- three. Yeah, well, they just come out of Temple Moor. Yeah, but that it, was a coincidence. But but the point about it was at least they were it, they were a calming influence on the town and then it allowed mm. the But it wasn't actually officers. additional resources. It just no, uh, happened. It was temporary. They were deployed there. They were going to be deployed somewhere temporarily yeah. uh, and Drada was chosen because of the feud uh, and they were all very young people. And it's no coincidence that there were very few mm. uh, serious incidents at that time mm. because as I said, the superintendent could uh, resource the town. He yeah. could put those guards on the beat. I don't think there has been a guard on the beat in about three or four weeks, mm. at least. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he could he could use uh, armed response units, but now he has to supplement them. If he wants to put an armed response unit out, he has to supplement them with uniform guards, yeah. which is absolutely crazy. Uh, what, what I'm saying is, and I know that Pio is strong on this too, is that we need the emergency response unit here and we need the, the, the local... Um, a, a response unit also, hmm. the divisional response unit. This is not something that's going to go away. And absolutely, uh, while this while this is going on, and that is the only way that you can target these criminals. Uh, we've had huge amounts of success. The guards have had huge amounts of success in relation to arresting a number of these and having them before the court. And I think that is the only way. But we need resources in the town, and that is absolutely. And I'll be speaking to Leo Varadkar on Friday, and I'll be uh, uh, putting it to him that a life in Drogheda is no more. Uh, less important than a life in the centre of Dublin City where they have absolutely unlimited resources mm. and overtime. All right. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to us this morning. A lot of people don't need to listen to us to know that the town isn't being policed and that's undoubtedly why they chose the time to strike now uh, because of what you've been saying about the additional guard you've been taken out of the town, the overtime ban and the lack of resources and one guarded car policing the town. Uh, so uh, we've one shooting. Now, uh, what's next, do you think, Leo Smith? Well, I think this feud is going to go on and uh, I think that there are a number of different aspects to trying to solve this problem. One Mm. is in relation to policing, but the other one is in relation to uh, pouring resources into uh, 
organisations that can actually help on the ground. So, for example, Loud County Council, uh, myself and Jed Nash, uh, met with Low County Council before Christmas to spearhead a campaign to coordinate a response to what's going on so that we could produce, produce a plan that would uh, effectively be put in place over a five-year period, similar to what happened mm. in Limerick and Blanchestown. There are no resources for this yeah. this plan. And that in itself, a long-term strategic approach, but we've a shooting... Mm-hmm. And what you'd expect is retali- retaliatory action uh, and that there will be another shooting yeah, within days. But look, let's, let's be honest with this. There's been four pipe bomb attacks since Christmas. That, mm. it, doesn't, it isn't reported. I mean, only was it two weeks ago we were talking about mm. a house that was firebombed that may or may not be related to this feud, but could be related to something else outside of the town. Mm. But, you see, this is normalised behaviour now. So, I mean, uh, like even last night on RTE, the shooting didn't get front billing. It was way down the news news feed. So, I mean, when we start to get into a society where we normalise this type of behaviour, where we expect it and we see it happening, I mean, we talked before about young people coming up and the behaviours of young people who are involved in this feud. And what are they going to be like when they hit their 20s? I mean, there, there is serious stuff coming down the road here uh, if we don't address this issue. And we will fail as politicians and we will fail as a society mm. if we don't adequately agra- address what's happening here. And Really, the guys with the with the hands and the lever of power, I don't believe in any political party, realise what's happening in the, on the streets of Drada. And let's be honest with mm. this too. This is not a disadvantaged area. This is not a working class problem. The drugs gangs are making fortunes from middle class people who go out at weekends and they buy their bag of cocaine or the bag of heroin. And they have no fathom in our, our imagination where that money goes. Where that money goes mm. is to what you've seen and what we heard about yesterday. Mm. It goes back to killings, tortures, murders, intimidation. There's no connection. Richie, as a, a former guard yourself, uh, how, how would you have uh, assessed yesterday's uh, attack? I suppose to the rest of us, it obviously seems ruthless. It seems fearless, for that matter. Uh, but it also seems uh, pretty professional. Absolutely. It would have taken a certain amount of planning. I mean, I think the individual involved that was shot, uh, the, uh, Mr. McGuire, he was um, he would have visited that particular area for, for a particular reason on probably a weekly basis. Um, so it would have taken a bit of planning. Um, again, had we resources, we might have been able to intercept that, those particular individuals. Um, it, it was it was something that uh, you know, as I said to you earlier on, and I can understand you saying, Mike, that you know the town isn't being policed. The town is being policed, but it's not being properly policed. Mm. I agree with that. Mm. Um, we need uh, more guards on the ground. We need more shoes on the on, on the beat. Um, and you know, unless you have a, 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 a response and you want you have a you have a proper system in place whereby there are uh, you know inf- in, there's information coming into the guard station, which is very uh, time consuming for guards to go out and get that information from criminals. Um, unless you have that. And targeted response to these individuals, you know, this is going to continue. And uh, the only way you can do that is is to get more more people on the ground. Would you think that uh, the people who carried out this uh, attack were locals or would they have come from outside? Look, the unfortunate part about it is is that, you know, both sides in this particular dispute have individuals and they're involved with people who are not from the town. Mm. uh, So you'd imagine they'd be paid hitmen. 
Well, absolutely. I mean, it's it's very easy to get somebody to, to, to kill somebody now. Unfortunately, that's just the way, you know, life has gone in this country mm. um, and indeed all over the world. So, I mean, they would have come from outside, which makes it actually more difficult. And in actual fact, some of these individuals are coming from a different jurisdiction, uh, which makes it seriously uh, difficult for any investigation into the, into, the, uh, into the incident. But I would say without, and I don't mm. want to lose this opportunity, there was a, a, a dark-coloured uh, Volkswagen Passat, which was subsequently found burned out in... Uh, the sea point area mm. so i would say to anyone that has uh, any information in relation to that or may have seen uh, a black or a dark colored uh, 131 dublin registered uh, mm. volkswagen passat yesterday at any time and any information it, the, the guards would certainly be uh, delighted to receive any of that information all right uh, and uh, whilst we're at it probably worth mentioning it as well uh, that thankfully no innocent bystander uh, came into the line of fire because uh, quite often when you fire shots, bullets ricochet. 20 yards away from a toy store. They're not discriminate uh, bullets. They don't choose who they hit and who they ricochet and hit. And uh, it was just by the grace of God that nobody was actually, nobody else was hit with a bullet last night if there were six uh, rounds fired in that very closed in space there. Councillors, thanks uh, for coming into us uh, this like morning. That. Richie Culhan is a, a Fine Gael councillor, former Garda, and P.O. Smith, uh, local Labour Party councillor. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Stephen Brain, the crime editor of uh, The Irish Sun, is on the line. Stephen, good morning to you. Thanks uh, for joining us. Richie Culhan was uh, just saying to us uh, that uh, the people who carried out uh, this attack were most likely professional hitmen from outside of the town, possibly from outside of the uh, the jurisdiction, it was ruthless, it was fearless, and it was professional, wasn't it? Yeah, it was actually indiscriminate uh, as well. It's another adjective we could use there when you have two gunmen, um, one driving the car and another armed with a handgun, driving into a busy area which was packed with shoppers, uh, with families, you know, and you have their target who's sitting in the car, the gunman gets out very calmly, He's masked and he opens fire in discriminate nature and fires at least five shots hitting his target twice. But to do this, and, and despite the huge guard of presence that's in uh, Dundalk and Drogheda and County Louth in relation to this ongoing feud, you know, it shows that the intent's there. And it's concerning that these people are prepared to open fire in mm. a busy shopping area where innocent people are, are, are nearby. And, the unfortunate thing is that there are concerns that innocent people could get caught up in this. Well, that's the theory we're hearing this morning, that it is a feud, but it's a feud that's been simmering because of that guard of presence that you've been talking about. That guard of presence is now gone. Uh, there is no uh, armed unit. Uh, there is no huge resource available. In fact, uh, there's no overtime available to local guardy and just one car policing the town, which is why this hit took place yesterday when it did. And uh, as a, a result of that, uh, there's uh, the fear that there'll be more of this type of action and that there will be retaliation. Well, there always uh, is a concern in relation to the guard of resources. But I think if you look at this, you know, from last year when Owen Maguire was, was shot at a halting site in Drogheda and he was left paralysed, then you had the shooting last night. But since then, we've had pipe bombings, we've had arson mm. attacks, there have also been kidnappings, so people assaulted disorder, but the guards have been out there on the streets and, and they have have a number of people before the courts on very serious charges. They've also seized guns, they've seized cash, jewellery and um, drugs as well. So they have had an impact here, but 
when people do raise concerns about resources and only mm-hmm. having one car for the area, then yep. that is a worrying factor. Well, that's it. It seems as though there was the resource and they pulled the plug, which is probably why uh, there's very little information coming from the Gardaí in respect of this. I'm not sure if you know the geography, but to get from the M1 retail park in Drogheda to uh, Termin Fekin and uh, without any uh, sighting, let alone a chase, uh, it's uh, pretty... It, Unbelievable, I think, for anybody in the Seapoint area to think of how far the route is. Yeah, look, again, this comes down to it's a matter for the guardies, so you'll have to have them to come on and talk about what resources they have available. All I'm talking about mm. here is the fact that there have been significant inroads made, that lives have been saved. I mean, that's a reality, you know. They have stopped people who are on their way to carry out murders. They have seized weapons and they've brought people before the courts. But when you do have a lack of resources in an area, you will have criminal gangs who will exploit this. And it's very early days in this investigation, so we have to see, you know, what resources were available to the guardies yesterday and it did take a long time before the the car was recovered and it's now being examined the getaway car was recovered yesterday evening so um, it's a matter for the guards who have been facing this uh, you know since last year but the justice department as well has a role to play here in terms of what resources are being allocated here so it's a matter of waiting to see what can be available because people are genuinely concerned when you have gunmen going about um, the the streets going uh, around and targeting people in front of innocent shoppers yeah, well, it seems as though Brendan Maguire may have been struck once, uh, but he has uh, a couple of injuries, uh, very serious, fighting for his life. Uh, and as you're reporting this morning, there were at least five shots uh, fired at him. Uh, but he, he was warned by Gardy, was he not, that there was a threat on his life? Well, he's someone who would be uh, well known to Gardy. He has a number of previous convictions and someone who um, was well uh, aware of the, the ongoing tensions in the area and he had been previously warned that he would be um, a, a target because of his, his relationship with his brother Owen who uh, sur- also survived a, a murder bid uh, last year so um, he, he would have been aware that his life was under threat You know, there, there haven't been many incidents recently but uh, this feud shows no sign of ending you know, when you have two criminal gangs who are intent on, on killing each other and as, because the guards have had a lid on it and they have had some successes there, but there are people on both sides because of the nature of the various incidents, like the pipe bombings, the, the, the kidnappings, the mm. arson attacks, the stabbings, that he would have been aware that, that he was under threat. But despite this, he was still going about his daily business. And I'm sure the people who were involved in this were watching him, you know, monitoring his movements and knowing that he, he went to the gym. And uh, as soon as he left that gym yesterday, they, they opened fire. It's the second time in less than a year that a member of the Maguire family has uh, being uh, the subject of a, an attempted murder. All in all, uh, there's a, at least three uh, attempted murders linked to this feud and uh, it's believed uh, that three actual murders are linked to individuals uh, involved in uh, this feud. Uh, would you expect retaliation following yesterday's shooting? Well, there always is and that, that's a concern. You know, tensions are running quite high. If you, if you look at other feuds in, in Dublin or Limerick uh, when criminal groupings, uh, you know, go to war with each other over territory, or over turf, over, over drugs, you know, there's always a, a sense of, of retaliation. So that'll be a worry for Gardaí and I'm sure that they'll be out there and the armed support unit will be out there as well on the streets trying to prevent this from happening and, you know, working with the, the sources that they have and in terms of intelligence and trying to prevent further attacks because that's the, the priority for Gardaí is... Uh, 
to safeguard lives. So, but when something like this happens, there's always a, a retaliation of some sort. So, will it, whether it be a shooting or a pipe bombing or an arson attack, that is a concern. But it's more than likely it will happen at some stage. Stephen, thanks for joining us uh, this morning. As always, Stephen Breen is uh, the crime editor of the Irish Sun. Now, from uh, the shootings and uh, the pipe bombs and what's not in uh, Drogheda to grenades in Dundalk, or more accurately to the front pages of the local papers. It's Wednesday morning. Marie Kearns is here with the front pages and you begin with the Argus. I do indeed, Michael. It's leading this week with a story that an internal army investigation has been launched after four unprimed grenades were found in Aiken Barracks. It's understood that the grenades were left over from a training exercise in which 80 soldiers were each meant to throw two grenades in the Kilbride military range in County Wicklow. However, according to the Argus, a spokesperson for the Defence Forces confirmed that an internal investigation is underway when four of those 160 grenades were found hidden in the Dundalk Barracks after they weren't exploded in the exercise. Okay. We stay in uh, Dundalk. Uh, the Democrat next, though, its front page is uh, very different uh, and is recognising uh, the success of uh, a local yes, sporting yes, hero. it's a sporting story that's making the front page a record 17th title for Amy is the headline on the front page. And the Amy being referred to is that of local boxing champion, 21-year-old Amy Broadhurst, who won her 17th Irish boxing title at the National Stadium on Saturday night, smashing all previous records records made by female boxers in Ireland, including one of her heroes, Katie Taylor. So well done to her. Okay, and uh, a fundraising story then on the front page of the leader. It's a lovely story on the front page of the Dundalk leader about how little Sophia Griffin, whose family are trying to fundraise for a life-changing operation, showed her courage and determination when she took part in a 5k event on Saturday. There were cheers when the three-year-old crossed the finish line in her walker alongside her dad, Jerry, who had pushed Sophia around the course in her pram. But the determined youngster who was diagnosed with spastic diplegic cerebral palsy and PVL of the brain just before her second birthday completed the last few metres herself in her work. Oh, sorry, I so said that was a lovely sight there. All right. Uh, it and the DI leading with uh, the sentence yes, handed down to yes. former surgeon, disgraced surgeon Michael Shine. That's right, Michael. Perhaps not surprisingly, the Drogheda Independent led with this story. But inside the paper, I spotted an interesting article about a scheme to unite the Laytown and Bettystown areas in terms of business identity, lighting, architecture and character and that's been spearheaded by Meath County Council so I'm sure we'll hear plenty about that. Okay and we stay in Drogheda yes. with uh, the yes. leader and yes. that shooting that we were just that's talking right. about. That's right. Despite going mm. to press yesterday mm. the Drogheda leader managed to get the shooting at the retail park on its front page while it's also reporting on the mother of one who has been charged with having nearly one million euro worth of cannabis herb for sale or supply following a search of a property at Ballin McKinney in Drogheda being released from custody on €30,000 bail. Okay, it's a a long way to Tipperary. Uh, Not that that has anything to do with our local newspapers, but let's go to me, then the front page of the Chronicle. Yes, and it's a long way from the Lebanon to Dunshockland, and that's the front page story of the Mead Chronicle. A royal welcome for Syrian family in Dunshockland, and it tells the story of the family's journey from the Lebanon to their new home in Dunshockland as part of a resettlement programme, which will see them start a new life in Ireland. And it's a very hard read, Michael, when you hear 
hear of a lot of bad press in other parts of the country. Uh, they speak of the warm welcome they have, are receiving mm. in the local area and the initiative has been spearheaded locally to bring the family of three here and it's lovely to see that they are Very settling good. in yeah. so well. Mm-hmm. Inside the paper though, on page 24, a mead farmer has vowed to do anything it takes to stop Airgrid from setting foot on his land as the fight against pylons looks set to escalate following last week's Supreme Court decision. According to Anne Casey's story, landowners are preparing to dig in and the North East Pylon Pressure Campaign has warned that any attempts by the ESB and Airgrid to access land will be challenged by landowners. Very good. Right, we'll uh, hopefully <coughs> excuse me, hear from uh, people if they have thoughts about any of those uh, stories because you'll be back in a few I minutes with some of uh, the comments. Uh, should we get any on any of those stories or if there's something else you'd like to comment on that you've been hearing this morning or for that matter if there's an issue that you'd like to raise with us as always our telephone number is 1850-715-958 Michael Reed on LMFM Now Educate uh, Together has reportedly written to uh, the Minister for Education Joe McHugh asking uh, for a review of a decision to award patronage of a new primary school to the Louth and Mead Education and Training Board in Dunshockland. Let's uh, talk about this with Thomas Byrne who's Fianna Fáil's spokesperson on education and a Fianna Fáil TD in Mead East. Good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, It's uh, believed that uh, the uh, case for this is that uh, the Loudmead uh, Education and Training Board didn't follow proper procedure. In fact, a, a new establishment group, a new schools establishment group, wrote to the minister uh, making this point uh, itself last week, uh, although it believes uh, that it should have been awarded the patronage. Yeah, um, and first of all, obviously there was a patronage process in the Dunshockland catchment area, which from the department's point of view actually went as far as almost the Smullen and Screen, uh, Drummery, areas like that as well. So anyone uh, with children who would be eligible for primary school in the next couple of years were, were entitled to vote in that. Uh, and just over 100 parents or so, I think, did vote uh, as to who would be the patron for the new primary school in Chocolate. So there were four people, four organisations looking for it. That was the Loudmead Education Education and Training Board, Educate Together, uh, Skull Sinead and uh, the Gael Skull as well are in first patron of the, the, the Irish language schools. And the Loudmead Education Board won by two votes over Educate yeah. Together. Yeah, that's right. And um, generally speaking, Educate Together tends to do very well in these patronage processes because people know Educate Together. They associate them with, you know, diversity in education uh, and choice and multi-denominational approach, although LMETB also would be a multi-denominational school as well. Um, And there's an independent process there. I mean, up, up until recently enough, I suppose it was first come first serve like if an organisation came into an area and, and a school was needed the department would let them go ahead but now, now, now there's a competition so there's a bit of canvassing going on there's a bit of campaigning mm. going on and um, there, there was a meeting there before Christmas for example where parents were invited to meet uh, all four of the patrons uh, so, so a decision could be taken and the relief was put out by, by various groups as well with information and websites set up so parents then were allowed to vote and this was an independent process separate from politics. In fact, the decision ultimately was taken by the new schools establishment group, as you said. But there was unquestionably uh, a breach by LMETB of, of the Code of Conduct where they, they basically promised a place in the secondary school in Dunshockland uh, if you went to 
their primary school, that school was chosen and they went to that. And they couldn't make that promise, was it? No, no, they, no, no, they can't make that promise. No, definitely they, not. They, they uh, made that promise, but uh, it, it was wrong of them to make that promise. In other well, words. and that's what the new school establishment group mm-hmm. said, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it shouldn't have happened. And in fairness to them, they did clarify it, I think, pretty soon after it happened. But I suppose this really came to head then when the, when the vote was so close, when the vote was 56-54. I said not that many parents took part, but they are the parents whose children will be going to these schools. And Educate Together contacted me. Mm-hmm. I, did, I had to say quite a lot of parents in Dunshockland last week contacted me as well following the award of patronage. And I myself wrote to the minister last week, um, not, not exactly requesting a review, but actually trying to find out was a review possible. At the end of the day, this is an independent process. There's a process there. Mm-hmm. And it's a relatively new process with, with not too many rules and regulations. Uh, and, not, you know, and I was questioning whether there was the possibility uh, of a review in light of uh, what the new schools establishment group had said, and do you believe um, it's warranted? I, I mean, well, did you hear? Be, did you hear? Di- did you hear directly from parents who said, "I, I voted in favour of the Louth Mead Education Training Board over Educate Together because I thought it meant that my child would get a, a place in the secondary school." And had I known that that well, was not true, I would have voted for Educate Together. Well, I've certainly met one parent who said the first part of your, your statement there that they voted for on the basis of that. Yeah, I have now that they, they didn't, they haven't come back to me to say they would have changed it, their vote. So I can't say that. Um, but yes, absolutely. I have, I've certainly met a parent on that and I was slightly surprised about that. Um, because generally in these competitions, they, you educate together tends to be the ones that the parents have on the tips of their tongue as such. Mm. Um, because they're better known and just whatever the pros and cons uh, of, of any patron group. And these are all good organizations want to say that so so i asked review now i'm conscious of two things michael first mm. of all that is not a uh, this is not in the political realm and it shouldn't be uh, a political decision so i certainly don't want to get involved in that side but, but i'm also deeply conscious as well michael that a new school primary school is badly needed in Dunshockland and it has to open this september and i certainly don't want to do anything and uh, that would cause that to be delayed so i i conditioned well, my there request it, therein lies the the problem perhaps yeah. because education uh, educate together has asked the minister to put a, a stay on proceeding with the new school until well, uh, he agrees to a review and that review is complete well, look, Educate Together will do their own thing and they're, they're keeping all options open. And certainly when I spoke to the Minister last week about this, he, he certainly didn't rule out the possibility of legal action. Now, Educate Together haven't said that to me, but certainly the department are, would be potentially expecting that. Now, I don't want to do anything uh, that would interfere with a new multi-denominational school as, a, as an alternative mm. and as an extra school opening in September. So, so when I asked, was there a review, it's in the context of a process, the context of a non-political process, and in the context of the urgent need for a new primary school in Shotland to open this September. But the other point this does expose, Michael, is, mm. I mean, I've been raising for quite some time the lack of school places in the Shotland Community College. That's a real serious issue, and this really exposes that, because clearly that's, that is uh, something mm. that parents in Dunshockland are extremely well aware of, and, and, and in and other areas as well around Dunshockland, where they've had problems getting into that secondary school. And there's been very, very little done about that from a department point of view, in terms of putting extra capacity into that school. So this was obviously something that parents were mm. fearful of, because they know exactly what happened in terms of the admission this year. There was a there was a lot of a lot of anxiety around mm. talking about admissions into that school, and it's not as if there's another secondary school that you could go to instead, because all of the other ones in Navan or Dunboyne or Atoto or wherever are full up 
generally speaking, from their own areas too. Okay, but so, this is bad news for parents, isn't it? Uh, I mean, they and their children are, are caught uh, in the middle of this dispute because at the end of the day, the minister could say, well, look, you know, you promised something you shouldn't have been promising. Let's review this. Uh, it could uh, go out to a second vote, let's say. Uh, LMETB could win the second vote for all we know. Uh, and indeed, uh, this uh, new group, the New Schools Establishment Group, has said that regardless of any uh, of this, uh, it was right to award them the patronage because it's satisfied that parents and children will be well served by the outcome. And I, I actually would agree with that last point in the sense that if the school, and, and as things currently stand, it is LMETB, uh, that is going to be a fantastic school. I have no doubt about that if they are the patrons, and it will be multi-denominational. So it will be an alternative to Catholic education, as well as providing extra school places. So I, I have no doubt that that's absolutely correct. This will be a great school. But I suppose the question I'm asking is simply to see, is there is there a possibility of a review? And I know that the minister in media statements has said that there's not. He hasn't replied uh, to my correspondence. Now, that was, I think, last Thursday. I, I corresponded maybe the day before. Um, so I haven't had a formal reply from him and I haven't had the opportunity to discuss the matter with him. Um, so if there's no possibility of review, then that's it, I suppose, from the political point of view. Uh, but I think that it was worth asking the question. Like, when things go wrong in elections, People don't tend to worry too much about them unless the vote is close. <laughs> so, and that's exactly what happened here. And it has never happened before this closely. I mean, for example, the patronage award for this, uh, the new secondary school in South Rada, East Mead, Leighton, I mean, that was, oh, I think, over, pretty overwhelming for Educate Together. Uh, and they do tend to do quite well. So this this is an extremely unusual situation. Mm. Uh, and uh, it's an unfortunate situation from the point of view of the people who be served by uh, this school. It's a, a dispute. Uh, both sides uh, would act as good patrons. Uh, there's no question yeah. about that. Uh, and we're not coming down on one side or the other. But there is this question about uh, the children and uh, their parents uh, and if they may end up being held hostage in this dispute. Well, and look, I don't want that to happen. And, you know, myself and pretty much all the local politicians would have stayed out of the process. I didn't express any preference for any patron. Parents were to do that. And at the end of the day, the only preference I had was that it would be multi-denominational because there are already uh, two Catholic primary schools in Dunshockland. Mm. So, I mean, there, there were no possible, is it? Is it, is, is it possible anyway. that the school won't open because of this? No, I don't think so. And okay. I certainly wouldn't mm. want that to happen because then we'd be in deep trouble, Michael. We'd be back on it next September looking for school places like we, we were years and years ago. And I never want to see that happening again, to be honest. Uh, so at the end of the day, whoever is the patron uh, of this school, and it, it looks like LMETB, unless the minister makes a U-turn on it, um, or unless other action is taken by Educate Together, I mean, look, the parents and children and community of that school will mould that school and shape that school's ethos. Um, that's one thing I would say, and you see that in schools up and down the country. OK, thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Fianna Fáil TD in Mead East and uh, spokesperson on Education and Skills, Thumbsburn. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael. And we have lots of them. And I have to say the bulk of them are relating to yesterday's shooting in Drogheda. Frank from Drogheda phoned in. He says he's very concerned about the shooting yesterday, that the safety of innocent people and children in Drogheda is now at risk. He wonders if the flag holds still taking place this year and should it even be going ahead because of what is happening in Drogheda that the safety of people must be paramount and he feels that the Gardaí are not 
doing enough about it. Yvonne from Drogheda phoned in. She had been at the retail park where the shooting, shooting happened a few hours beforehand and she says that she's just sickened by what took place that she could well have been there and people no longer feel safe in the town she says Michael you have to think about this there were families ordinary families with Mm. young children getting in and out of cars it's such a public place where people go to do their shopping I just cannot believe that this has happened Mm. in such an area yeah it really is unreal yeah Mm -hmm. Sandra says you were right to question the Gardaí I was in the area yesterday afternoon and it was bloody frightening the Gardaí know that this has been simmering I know they can't be everywhere they don't have the resources but I cannot understand how this gang were not seen at all when they fled the scene that they went to Termenfecken it seems Mm. I'd love to know how many Gardaí were on in Drogheda during that time yesterday Michael that's what we need to know Mm. Marie phoned in she was arriving at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital at the same time as the victim's car. She says there were six squad cars at the hospital Mm. and a strong guard of presence. It was quite a scary experience Mm. to witness and to drive into the middle of, she says, Mm. a lot of people would have been shaken up Yeah, well, the route from the M1 retail park uh, to Seapoint is a very long route. Uh, Well, there's a number of ways. There's a number of ways you could go, but uh, it's very hard to get to Seapoint from the retail park uh, without going close to the Garda station in town, apart from the centre of the town. Uh, You could come down through Mel and uh, pretty much close uh, along the Garda Station uh, and up uh, Scarlet Street or or you could come uh, down uh, across uh, the uh, dual carriageway and down the North Road uh, and up uh, by cross lanes uh, and out that way. Uh, uh, Or you could go out via Monaster Boyce. Mm-hmm. You know, you could go hit, well, you could, you, well, you, you, and go cross country. Well, that would be an even longer route. It would, yeah, but yeah, there, are, there yeah. were a couple, I suppose, of options. Yeah. But it's surprising that mm. nobody spotted. Yeah. Well, I mean, were they driving at what is it? It's around uh, fifty uh, when you come out of the retail park. Uh, goes up to eighty, a hundred, uh, and then back down to fifty in yes. certain sections. Were they uh, obeying the speed limit? Uh, were they travelling like norm- normal cars, or were they travelling at high speed, I passing know. out cars and as you'd expect after shooting five shots in the middle uh, of a busy retail park? And at that time of the day, Michael, mm. it was around the three o'clock mark. A lot of the schools, you know, yeah. kids have just mm. come out of yeah. schools. There's a lot of buses, so there's a lot of traffic mm. in the, the centre. The, the guards have very little information. They have a partial registration number, 131D. That's all the information and of course the uh, make of and colour of the car. Uh, but in terms of pursuit, uh, there seems to have been none whatsoever. Fran says it's high time a proper police force was put into Drogheda. One police car in a mini city. How long is this joke going to go on? There is plenty of guardy breath testing in the mornings. When there's trouble or robbery, they don't seem to be around. Uh, the good people of Drogheda need to get out and protest and make the government realise that we need more Gardaí. Finnegade politicians, you need to get off your backside and do something about this. After all, you are in government. Amid the texter, I couldn't agree more with your questions towards the ex-guard who is on your show. There always seems to be guardy about when there's no tax on your car, but then you have something as serious as this shooting when there's children about and there's nobody to be seen. Well, yeah, it shows how vulnerable Drogheda and the people of Drogheda and businesses in Drogheda are, given how easy it must be to distract the guardy if there's just one car, get them off to one, cause an incident, get them off to one part of the town and then set a... 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. About the work that you'd planned in the other part of uh, the town. But hold that thought for a, a moment, uh, Marie, because uh, another issue that has been animating people is uh, the idea of uh, the 23% VAT increase on food supplements. Uh, this has been deferred, uh, according uh, to the Revenue Commissioners, until the 1st of November. This follows uh, a letter that uh, it received uh, from the Minister for Finance. Uh, the news obviously being welcomed uh, by those who trade in uh, these products and Phil Koskin, General Secretary of the Irish Health Trade Association IHTA is on the line. Good morning to you and thanks uh, for joining us Phil this morning. Uh, it, it seems uh, as though uh, come November there could very well be some increase. Do you accept that at this stage? Um, it's very likely that uh, there may be an increase. Um, you know, um, the the concession of the 0% has, has been in place. Well, we would consider that it wasn't a concession. It is the way that it has always been for the, for the past 45 years. What we really want now is the opportunity, you know, and we're very grateful for Minister, Minister Donoghue mm. to have uh, taken this intervention, to have an opportunity to, to present our case, you know, to the stress tax strategy group uh, to make, make uh, representations for, for the industry that we represent. So we it, think that's really, really important. There's obviously um, a business case, but it, it is uh, there another case? Is there a case that can be made on health grounds because there were exemptions being put in place for folic acid, folic acid uh, some vitamins and minerals that are licensed by the Health Products Regulation Authority. Uh, iron uh, would have been exempted. Uh, B12 and vitamin D drops uh, but the VAT rate would have applied to other supplements, uh, which some experts say should only be taken on medical advice. Well, in fact, um, you know, very many people go into to, to health stores to buy their supplements, and that would include their folic acid and their iron and their B vitamins. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, the, the cost saving in, in health stores, um, you know, w- would probably be important to people when they're trying to, to, to make ends meet. Um, regarding the full range of supplements, mm. um, you know, society has changed over the last 45 years. People are far more health conscious. Yeah. We are not eating the, 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 we're not partaking in the, in the, the good diets that, that, that a, a lot of, of, um, you know, medical people say that, you know, if you, um, if, you, if you're eating a healthy diet, you don't need these supplements. Uh, and uh, as you say, folic acid wouldn't have increased it in price. Uh, that would have continued to enjoy the well, it zero would, percent. It, 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 
if the folic acid that actually would have enjoyed the 0%, um, Michael, would have been folic acid that had a, a product authorization. It would have been a registered yes. medicine. It would be a registered medicine. Um, the, when you go into a health store, you're buying food supplements. And food supplements, you can buy food supplements. You can buy folic acid mm. food supplements as well. But perhaps the message to people is that they shouldn't buy them unless they've been recommended uh, on medical grounds. Well, I, I, I would ask you, um, you know, and, and, and your, 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 your callers, you know, to, um, you know, to, to speak up for themselves. Uh, people want to maintain their health. They want to, to make health choices. Uh, a lot of this actually is down to health choice. People have the choice to keep themselves healthy. They make educated decisions, you know, um, mm. to take supplementation. Um, it's not in any state. I think people should always have a health choice. Were you surprised by this news yesterday? Because I did watch politician after politician stand up in the doll and ask that this would be deferred, if not cancelled altogether. And the response time and time again was that this was not a decision of the government, that it was a decision that was being taken by the revenue commissioners. And then the news followed later that it was being deferred until the 1st of November. So were you surprised to hear that that was the decision? Well, I was I was very pleased. We were very pleased to hear that uh, Minister Donoghue made this uh, timely intervention. Um, we had been requesting this. We felt that uh, a, a large policy decision like this should actually be made by the public representative. That also allows us um, to make our representations on behalf of our industry, on behalf of the people that, that use supplementation. So it seemed appropriate that the intervention was made and we're very, we, we certainly welcome that. All right, we'll leave it there for for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining You're us. You're very welcome. That's Phil Costigan, who's uh, the General Secretary of the Irish Health Trade Association, IHTA. Now, Marie, you've uh, some more comments for us, I think. Lots more, Michael, if I can get through a few more, please. Uh, a gentleman phoned in to say that, Michael Reed, you should be undercover in Drogheda because listening to your comments, you seem to know it all. Uh, this man works for a different emergency response service and says, you don't realise how far a person could be gone in three minutes. When you get a call, you go to a scene you don't know what you're going to uh, you don't know what you're going to encounter uh, you said there should have been a car chase after all of this it's very handy for you to say that sitting in your nice cosy desk uh, you could get a call to go to a scene and uh, as he says you don't mm. know what to expect and he says he was very annoyed listening to your comments all right, well, I think there's probably fair comment in that uh, but I think on the other hand it has to be said that there's this ongoing feud there's been three attempted murders now uh, individuals involved in the feud are being linked to three actual murders there's been a, a number of pipe bombs petrol bombs and all sorts of uh, attacks uh, a man in a bath with a gun in his mouth uh, amongst other things including people uh, driving uh, around uh, uh, with uh, devices in their car and so on. So, uh, I mean, the town has been on high alert. We've been told that we're uh, under uh, very heavy policing. Uh, there was an armed response unit. Uh, there was a heavy guard presence. But the point is that it's all been pulled out of Drogheda. Uh, and despite this feud, which didn't end, 
everybody said was simmering. Uh, there was one guard a ta- car to police mm-hmm. the town yesterday, one guard a car to respond, not the fault of the guardie. Yes, of course, they could only do whatever they could do, but when there's only one guard a car, there are questions that need to be asked, I think. Anthony Moore, Fianna Fáil, local election candidate in Drogheda, was listening in. He phoned in and says, we had our meet, public meeting last January, Michael. We called for more guardie. This was all too foreseeable. Unless we get the guardie, we need extra cars and resources. We'll, we'll, we will be on our way to being a Limerick in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. An email, an emotional issue. I know when someone is shot in your tent, but my God, Michael Reed was roaring at his guests this morning, wouldn't let them answer. You would think they were responsible for the shooting pure unprofessional had to turn it off tell him to listen back see what he thinks himself another email Michael you are right Drogheda is not being pleased by the Gardaí the estates where these criminals live uh, are not being pleased by the Gardaí the Gardaí don't care the politicians don't care what about the promise the Justice Minister made before Christmas saying that any resources will be provided it's a disgrace Alright well the Minister said that I thought it meant more than one guard a car if I was shouting or whatever people heard I, I, I don't know but I would have expected a higher level of policing than that uh, and this is the reason why. Final comment to James who phoned in and says Michael what are the powers that be what are they waiting for? Are they waiting for somebody innocent to be killed? Because what happened yesterday mm. where someone opened fire in a public shopping area, mm. if that's just waiting to happen. And he says that you, the government uh, representatives in this area uh, and that's Fergus O'Dowd TD, he needs to put the pressure on his government before it's too late and somebody innocent loses their life. Alright, we'll leave it there. Thanks Marie. Thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us today. If you'd like to add to what's being said as always we'd love to hear from you and our telephone number is 1850 Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM Now the government has uh, been awarded a C grade uh, for its efforts to improve uh, the lives of uh, children in uh, this country this is according uh, to the annual Children's Rights Alliance report card this is uh, the 11th such report and it sees progress on last year and progress in many aspects, although there are still some areas which uh, the Children's Rights Alliance would say that the government is failing children in this country. Let's talk about all of this with Saoirse Brady, who's uh, the Legal and Policy Director for the Children's Rights Alliance. Good morning to you, Saoirse. Thanks for joining us here on the programme this morning. And uh, the Children's Rights Alliance has quite a, a number of good things to say about how the government has set about improving the lives of children in this country. Uh, good morning, Michael, and thanks for having me on. Yes, I suppose um, Report Card, as you said, got an overall C this year, which is up from a C- last year and a D-plus the year before. Um, and we have seen progress in some areas. So we've seen it in relation to paid per- the introduction of paid parental leave, um, which will come into force later this year. Um, each parent will get two weeks of paid parental leave, and that will enable them to stay at home uh, with their child, which is so important for a child's development in the first year of life. Um, we've also seen progress on the Affordable Child Care Scheme, which uh, got a C-plus this year. Uh, it will come into force later um, in November, but I suppose there was significant investment in, in the scheme last year. There was mm. £574 million put in, um, and that will mean that um, low-income families and other families on, on um, higher incomes will actually get a subsidy. About 72,000 children got a subsidy, some sort of subsidy last year. But for example, a family um, with two young kids under three 
uh, who have a take-home pay of about 30 grand will get uh, about 220 euro a week um, under the new scheme when it comes into force. Um, the other big area where we thought there was there was real progress was in terms of the Public Health Alcohol Act. Um, and the reason that that's so important is not only will um, making alcohol more expensive and less available will that deter children from starting to drink early. Mm-hmm. It will also help with parental alcohol abuse, which we know leads to neglect, um, sometimes children being taken into state care. Um, and we really welcome that, that piece, really important piece of legislation coming in. And that resulted in a, a B grade for a physical B, health. Yes, it did. Uh, there was um, a, an A grade for the government then as well. Yeah, there was an M minus in terms of the LGBTI plus youth strategy. And that was, um, that's a world first. And I suppose what we looked at there was how important this strategy will be for those um, children and young people who do identify as LGBTI plus, um, who often face discrimination, who feel afraid to go to school because they're being bullied. Um, and there are real actions there. And there was a great consultation that actually took place with that. They consulted with over 4,000 young people and heard from them about what would make a real difference. So that's a three-year strategy and we hope that... Um, and, and funding has been allocated. We hope further funding will be allocated to ensure that, that you know, the actions within it become a reality. The government and previous governments have uh, been uh, the subject of much criticism and there's been much concern for that matter about uh, people who are in direct provision from the Children's Rights Alliance and other groups for different reasons. Uh, but there has been some improvement in your mind. There has, and I suppose they got a C grade this year, and this is the first time they've gotten such a high grade for yeah. um, refugee or migrant children, um, which is what we used to grade. But I suppose the reason why is that they, they have signed the EU directive that allows um, parents and, and people in direct provision the right to work. And that will be really important for combating um, the high levels of poverty that the families with children in direct provision experience. The Direct Provision Alliance for Children went up um, for the third time in, in as many years, in three years, um, to 29.80. And that was the recommendation that um, Judge McMahon in his report actually said that it should go up to. So, you know, that's significant. It's gone up from 9.60 a couple of years ago. Um, so we hope that that will make a real difference for, for uh, families indirect provision in their everyday lives. Okay. But so, one of the other big areas I just sorry Michael, just to finish sorry, yes, um on that is that um the the government have gone out to cons- consultation on national standards for accommodation for people living in the direct provision system. And we we took part in that process and the the standards went out to public consultation. There's some child specific um standards in there and it looks at what would be in the best interest of the child. It talks about child friendly complaints mechanisms mm-hmm. and if those standards are put in place, which we expect they will be, they're with the minister at the moment. Um but we would see, uh, we would hope to see a transformation of that system, and that it wouldn't be, the, you know, the place that it is now for families, which is quite difficult. That they would have their own private living space for families. But I suppose the other thing we would say, and we will be looking to next year, is whether or not an independent inspectorate will be put in place to ensure that those standards are complied with. 
All right, uh, so we're talking uh, so far about uh, grades uh, that have reflected uh, some very positives, uh, an A minus, a B, a B minus, uh, and uh, Cs uh, in terms of how the government uh, has uh, been protecting children in this country. But the overall grade is C. So what's been bringing the grade down? So I suppose some of the areas that we focused on where they haven't done as well um, and they got the lowest grades were in mental health, they got a D minus and for traveller and Roma children, they got a D minus and it was an F or a feel for housing um, for child and family homelessness um, given the the ongoing crisis that there is there. There were 500 mm. more children um, last year who went into um, emergency accommodation. Um, they're still living in unsuitable hotels and B&Bs and at our launch yesterday we heard from Suzanne Conley, the new CEO of Bernardo's, about some of the families that they work with um, and you know there was one family, Anne and her two little kids, Ben and Kira, who are four and three and th- they, um, they're living in emergency accommodation, they don't have breakfast there because they have to queue to use a communal kitchen by the time they do that, they would be late because they go to Bernardo's services first thing in the morning and it takes them two hours to get there from where they are it involves a walk a train journey and a bus journey um and those t- in those two hours one morning they turned up and little Kira had wet herself because you know it was so onerous she hadn't even had breakfast yet because they wait until they get into Bernardo's to have breakfast um and it's putting a lot of strain on that family you know um, and it's those real life stories that, that really bring it home to you what this crisis is doing. So mm-hmm. we have called on the government to declare a national emergency, to put significant investment to providing public housing, which is not just for those on the social housing waiting list or those living in emergency accommodation, but it would be putting in place sustainable communities with affordable housing for all um, low-income families, you know, including working families who, who just can't afford to get on that housing ladder or have... Um, be in a rental position where they have security of tenure even. But um, I suppose the other uh, lower grades were for um, traveller and Roma Mm -hmm. children. And I suppose one of the reasons for that was that, you know, there was an increase in the number of families living on unofficial halting sites. That's by the side of the road very often without running water, without electricity. We heard from Kathleen Lawrence of Pavy Point yesterday, a young traveller woman talking about how she's the first in her family, her extended family of over 200, um, to go to college uh, and actually study law. Um, And she talked about how, you know, she used to have to do her homework by candlelight, that she dropped out of school at 15 and that it was, you know, when others encouraged her to go back to college um, and get in there, you know, and actually fulfill her ed- her potential mm-hmm. and receive her full education that she went back but you know she she was talking about the the discrimination she's faced at every step mm. and every um you know turn along the way of her journey and you know how you don't when you feel that you don't belong you don't really interact with people you know um it, it was it was a very powerful and uh, emotive input from her um and you know at the housing crisis one in ten um, people who are facing homelessness are travellers when they make up only 1% of the population. So disproportionately they are impacted by the housing crisis. So if we could get local authorities to spend the money that they've been allocated to put into um, whether it's halting sites or providing culturally appropriate accommodation for, for traveller families, that would help alleviate the, um, the housing crisis. And when we're saying there isn't enough money going in, 
enough money is going into local authorities, but um, but they're just not using it. And I suppose central government do have a role to play there in terms of one of the things we've looked for is legislation to bring in place sanctions for local authorities who continuously underspend their the allocated funding. And that criticism yeah. may be accepted quicker, I, I think, by government uh, than the criticism in relation to general homelessness. Uh, I think Minister English has said uh, that he's going to bring pressure to bear on local authorities in terms of not just the provision of accommodation for travellers, but also the standard of accommodation for them. Uh, and time will tell whether that transpires to be the case or not. But do you think that the government would accept your criticism of homelessness, child homelessness, as fair criticism? Um, I suppose we we have also acknowledged that a lot is happening in the area and, you know, and that um, maybe 600 families are living in family hubs, which are better than hotels and B&Bs. But ultimately, it's again a record number of children living in emergency accommodation and that's what we were looking at. The commitments are, you know, to move those families. The commitments under the programme for government, which is what we grade, they are to move those families out of unsuitable accommodation and many of them still are there. They are putting in place standards for, for that kind of accommodation but again that has to come with independent inspections to make sure that they're complying with those. And one of the other commitments that they had in the programme for government was around rapid build housing mm. And we know that that's been, you know, exceptionally slow um, in, in progressing. So, you know, th- there is a programme of work to be done in 2019. Money has been allocated to the Rapid Bill programme. And we feel that, you know, I- I- if they deliver on that, then that will help alleviate the, the crisis. But ultimately, when you're in a situation where children are going to school hungry because they, they don't have cooking facilities in the place that they're living, mm. where they're going to school with um, dirty clothes because laundry facilities aren't always available in hotels for families, then, you know, that that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the real-life impact and the longer-term and impact. It's the real-life impact, uh, I suppose, Saoirse, because uh, the government will say it's doing everything it can, uh, but your argument is that despite your best efforts, children are being failed. Yes, and one of the things we've looked for there as well is that there would be legislation that limits the, the length of time children and their families spend in B&Bs and hotels, um, you know, and that would help... Um, hold the government to account. Mm. They, they had promised in rebu- rebuilding Ireland to move them out by mid-2017 and they didn't make, uh, they didn't meet that commitment. But, you know, I think if, if they legislated to ensure that decisions were made in the best interest of children, even things like mm. ensuring that children are placed in accommodation that's as close to their school as possible, because we did some research last year, Michael, mm. around uh, the educational needs of um, children experiencing homelessness. And school is the place of sanctuary for them. It's the place of routine. It's a place where, you know, life feels normal for them. So we need to ensure that, that, that we're doing as much as we can to facilitate that and that, that children don't have to take two-hour bus journeys and fall asleep on the bus, wet themselves. You know, oh, that's really, unacceptable. Yeah, no, a really unbelievable yeah. story. It really struck me. Uh, but an F in homelessness, perhaps people won't be too surprised to hear that. A D- minus in traveller and Roma children and the conditions they live in in this country. A D- minus then as well in mental health services or the CAMS, uh, the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services in this country? Yes, and in, in terms of mental health, I suppose um, our Chief Executive, Tanya, 
word yesterday I described it, you know, as a youth issue of our time. Um, we are feeling those children uh, who are going along to mental health services, um, they're presenting, but they aren't getting the help that they need. So it's not just the specialised CAM services. Mm. What we found was that there are about 7,000 children waiting for community psychology um, support. And if you intervened, if they could get an appointment early, if you intervened early, then very often they might get the help that they need um, and mightn't need to go on to those specialised services. Of course, some children will need those specialised services. Um, but, you know, when you have children going along and the, the only way that they can get into the system is by sitting in um, A&E sitting there with their parent with suicidal thoughts um, and then having to wait even you know, longer to get a, an appointment with a specialised CAM service, then, you know, that's, that's just not good enough. And, and we're yeah. very concerned about those children. And, and thousands of children like that and people less likely to speak about those problems uh, for personal reasons as well, obviously. Yeah, and, you know, it might stop them from going to school. It, yep. You know, if you're suffering from anxiety and depression, you know, you mightn't be in the space to go to school. And does your parent really want to force you to, to go, you know, if they think that that's going to make it, things worse for you? So, you know, we're concerned about that. Um, I think we really need to to address the mental health crisis. And we know there are recruitment issues with CAMS um, and with the the community supports, but we, we need to look at that as well and what can be done. There was a national... Um, Youth Mental Health Task Force that uh, Helen McEntee would have put in place when she was Minister of State for Mental Health and they delivered their report over a year ago. Which was um, very admirable because it was all voluntary, there was no funding given to it. Yeah, and now they are looking at putting funding in place, mm. but I suppose they're, they're talking about putting in place a Pathfinder project. Yeah. Which it, well, if they can together. spend it, you know what I mean? Yeah. They, they, well, they, they, they spent two or three years not able to spend 20 million uh, additional funding that was given to yeah. mental health services. Yeah, and we think that the Pathfinder project bringing together, you know, someone who will coordinate a number of different key departments who all have a role to play in this would make a real difference. And that, that um, you know, Department of Public Expenditure and Reform is currently looking at that and has given the go-ahead, but it's just, uh, you know, progress has been slow on it. But that would really make a difference. You would look at seeing things like an advocacy service for children and young people, which is so crucial, you know, to ensure that they that they get the most okay. out of the service that they're receiving. Um, it would also look at, you know, children under 18, so children over the age of 16, being able to consent to mental health treatment themselves and being involved in those decisions. So, you know, there's some really good stuff there. I think it's just a matter of implementation now and the political will to make it happen. OK, we have to leave it there for the moment. Saoirse, thank you, though, for joining us this morning, as always. Saoirse Brady is uh, the Legal and Policy Director for the Children's Rights Alliance. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, let's go uh, to Navin, where Fianna Fáil councillor Porrick uh, Fitzsimons is uh, calling on uh, the council to clean the streets at weekends. Did you ever hear the like? Good morning to you, Porrick. Good morning, Michael. How are you? At weekends. Um, yes, well, I suppose there is a bit of cleaning done at the weekend, but for the most part, uh, the full resources are... Um, put in and the streets are cleaned five days a week, Monday to Friday, using the machine sweeper. Mm. Bins are emptied. Streets are all cleaned in the locality of, of the central town and surrounds. But on weekends then, there's a skeleton staff on and uh, really only the bins are emptied and the very centre of the uh, 
what the town has done, which really is just around Market Square, yeah. a little bit on Trimgate Street, Ludlow Street. So there's a lot of the town that's been done. And the point I'm trying to make is that we're trying to showcase Navin. When people come to Navin on a Sunday or a Saturday, which is when they're off, that's when they see it. And if the town... If the street cleaning isn't done at weekends, it reflects back on the town. Well, like why, isn't it, why isn't it being done at the weekends? Well, I suppose uh, the vast majority of the reason is down to budgets. Uh, we have a budget of 400,000 last year for mm. street cleaning, which was up by 50,000 to 450,000. That's 9,000 a week when you work it out, which is quite a lot of money in my book, uh, and you should be able to get plenty done for that. So what I'm trying to say to uh, the executive is that they should sacrifice a day during the week when really, is there that much later? Well, that's Wednesday. where I was coming where, yeah. where I was coming to. Can they do that? Uh, there's seven days in a week, uh, but they work five days, Monday to Friday. Uh, is it... Uh, a five-day working week and that it's overtime on Saturdays and Sundays. That's what it appeared to be, exactly. Yeah, but for me, I feel that you get more value for money by even if you have to pay extra the weekend and sacrifice a midweek day uh, to bring the lads in maybe at a weekend uh, to get the streets done because, you know, you, you know that mm. in any town um, <clears throat> with nightclubs, etc., on the weekend, the busyness of it, it's going to be dirtier than during the week, you know. And if, if you sacrifice a Tuesday or Wednesday when there isn't, shouldn't be that much later in comparison to weekend, that's the time to do it. If you take even people going up to Park Talton on, on a Sunday for a, for a football match, like you're walking up Bruce Hill there, you're coming to it from mm. peripheral streets, let's say, which aren't the centre of town, and they're not clean. So that's the first thing you see, and you think, "Oh Lord, this you know this could be better." Um, um, what would it do to the wage bill? I mean, what type of uh, overtime rates are you talking about? Time and a half, double time. Listen, I'd imagine uh, it's time and a half, uh, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Um, uh, that's why, again, there's only a skeleton staff in on a Saturday and Sunday yeah. down to resources. But we should be trying to use those resources in a better way, use them smart, more in a smart way to get more for our money, you know. Mm. Um, there's a, there's few private companies, though, whose business is a seven-day week could pay time and a half on a Saturday. Oh, yeah, there's a lot. Of, the vast majority might do that, you know, depending on the type of business you're in. And, uh, you know, overtime is overtime. And it is more costly, obviously. Mm. And it is maybe harder to get people into work on those days as well. Maybe... It may well be a union issue. I'm not even sure about that. You know? no, I'd say there's a lot of places, though, that pay the same rate uh, on Saturdays as they do on Tuesdays. Of course there are. That's private mm. business for you, though, in comparison to, to um, let's say, you know, um, the county council or a semi-state body as such. Mm. Um, but again, I... I, I because well, because the reason me. for that is that their business is six or seven days a week. Uh, and that argument has been lost uh, long ago or won long ago depending on your perspective uh, but uh, the business of cleaning the streets is a seven day business is it not? Well for me it should be a seven day business you know yeah. uh, there's no reason why one day is different to the other especially with, with the volumes of people you have in particular at weekends yeah. uh, I would certainly like to see that uh, Saturday and Sunday would be normal days but, it, but, but it, again this private business versus versus a you know public system as such you know but again it's, it's just about trying to sell Navin to make Navin a cleaner town yeah I would like if you look at again Railway Street Cannon Road even Kennedy Place in Middletown very often isn't done and you know I'm sure the, the guys who are in there on a Sunday they only have a limited amount of time I think to go out from 6 to 9 there thereabouts in the morning so it's a very small amount of time they're out from mm. and you can only get so much done in that time so we need to spend more resources at the weekend to get this done Is it going uh, to happen? Uh, listen, I hope it does. You know, all you can do is appeal for it. I'll take know, that uh, as no. <laughs> well, I would also appeal maybe, like there's a big 
we need to appeal to the community spirit out there. We look at how yeah. Trim has uh, yeah. gone up the eyeball rate in the minority. They make a great effort. And even the community ourselves, we should be looking to help out and do more uh, with our tidy towns, you know, to appeal more to the community, to get involved and to help out and, you know, help the council, you know, help Navin, make Navin a better place. Yeah. Um, and I think we can, we can all help at that. You know, for example, the Tidy Towns Committee is starting now on um, Saturday. There's a litter pick. Uh, on Saturday we're meeting at 11 o'clock at the fire station so anybody who wants to come along and join us we need all, more hands the better to make them have a cleaner town OK well there'd be less need for street cleaning if uh, it wasn't necessary to clean up after you as the case may be but uh, we'll leave it there for the moment Parik and thanks uh, for joining us uh, this morning Parik Fitzsimons is a Fianna Fáil councillor on Meath County Council Michael Reed on LMFM. LMFM Radio is one of uh, the 34 independent commercial radio stations in uh, the country represented by the Independent Broadcasters of Ireland. John Purcell is uh, the chairperson of uh, the IBI and he's on the line with us now because uh, the IBI is in Leinster House today to lobby politicians ahead of uh, a FINA fall motion which will be put uh, two TDs tomorrow. Good morning to you, John. Thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme. You're looking for what you would consider to be a level playing field. Absolutely, uh, Michael. Um, People will be aware that in recent years, the broadcasting landscape, the media landscape in general, has been hugely disrupted by uh, multinationals such as Facebook and Google, who, it must be said, are neither Irish, they're not regulated, and they're not subject to the norms that people expect in, in, in quality media such as, you know, fairness, balance, um, accuracy, all that stuff. You know, I, I needn't go into the fake news. But the impact on media such as local stations like LMFM over the years has been enormous. Um, the listenership has remained uh, very strong and, uh, you know, the, the, the most people will listen to radio in Loud and Mead will be listening to LMFM. Um, but while the listenership remains strong, uh, the business model behind it and which supports the journalism we provide and the public service broadcasting we provide is under a lot of pressure. Um, there's need for government action. There has been inaction both in relation to regulating social media and internet uh, and also in relation to protecting broadcasters such as LMFM, mm. such as KCLR where I work and indeed such as RTE. So the Joint Oroctus Committee, which is the cross-party group um, which looks at these things, the cross-party group on communications, some years ago did a report and outlined what they thought needed to be done to protect stations such as LMFM. And since that report was issued, nothing has happened. So we're going into the doll today to say clearly and unambiguously that this isn't good enough and that we need action. And we need action from politicians, not just the government, but from local representatives in Loud and Mead and every county around the country to make sure that the vibrant broadcasting landscape that we have at the moment and programmes such as yours uh, can survive into the future, into the long term. And in what way would you like uh, these internet companies, these social media giants uh, to be regulated? Because whenever I turn on the radio, somebody is saying, will you like us on Facebook or or send us a a tweet or follow my Instagram thing or whatever it is. And quite often you see radio stations not just using these as tools, but as revenue generators. 
Well, I, I don't know about the revenue generators. The revenue accruing to uh, media outlets from Facebook or from Google is very modest uh, and really is a bit of a false dawn. There's a lot of myths spread around that. So just leaving that aside, I think if you look at um, you know a station such as yours or a programme such as yours, you're governed by the Broadcasting Act. You're governed by a wide range of statutory and binding um, guidelines and codes and principles which govern right of reply, fairness and balance, how to deal with complaints, taste and decency and so on. And all of those things which are perfectly uh, legitimate and there for good reasons underpin quality broadcasting. Uh, Facebook, for example, on the other hand, isn't governed by any of those. So I've had instances where libelous stuff has been said uh, in relation to people that I know, but I haven't been able to contact Facebook. They haven't acted in relation to it. They just seem to get off scot-free. Mm. You know, whether it's Cambridge Analytica, whether it's abuse of your personal data, um, all that kind of stuff, Facebook in particular seem to be able to get away with it. Okay. Um, and so a level playing pitch is whereby that they have to abide uh, by the same um, uh, guidelines in relation to fairness, accuracy, the protection of people's good names. And yeah, but they don't use the, they don't use the radio stations as a tool to promote their product. The radio stations are doing that themselves. Uh, so, I mean, it, would it be leveling the playing field if radio stations were told to stop all this stuff about liking us on Facebook and follower Twitter feed and all that stuff? Yeah, that's a good point, because to an extent, everybody is uh, responsible for perpetuating um, these uh, these organizations, which are having a negative impact on um, a negative impact on society. I was just speaking to your uh, producer before I came on air. He said he looked me up on Facebook and was surprised to see I hadn't posted anything on it since about 2015. So for my part, um, I'm buying into that thing that we, we need to be careful about drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak, and uh, we've, we've, we've given these, um, these organizations, Facebook yeah. and Google, huge power over society, um, and I would maintain that it hasn't always all been positive. So I think that's one uh, part of it, national and European level politicians need to act in relation to that, but as well as, as putting reasonable regulation in place around the Facebooks and Google, yeah. we need proactive and positive uh, stuff to nurture the broadcasting landscape in this country. And that, that's another way positive. of saying you need more money, isn't it? Uh, and you don't want to pay for the regulation of uh, the independent radio stations. As you said, uh, we're in a, an environment now where there's somebody looking at everything we do uh, and we have to make sure that our P's and Q's are in the right place. Uh, but that's funded by the local radio stations. Well, I mean, it is funded by the radio stations. Um, for some years, and it coincided with the economic downturn, we've had to pay 3% roughly of our gross turnover uh, to be regulated by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. And that's kind of paralleled the growth of uh, of the social media I've been talking about who aren't regulated. And so our revenue sources have been devastated over the years and we've had to pay an additional cost to be regulated. So I think what we're calling on the government to do is twofold. Number one, abolish the broadcasting levy, which will make uh, a contribution towards us being able to maintain our services. But so, also, so who would pay for the regulation of... Uh, it would be from the licence fee. Um, people pay television uh, licence Would that mean an increase in the licence fee? No, not at all. I don't think that's necessary at all. I think the, the uh, amount in the licence fee 
country is is ample. The level of evasion in Ireland is enormous and it's well above European averages. So I think if the government improved their the collection of the licence fee um, and and looked at the costs of of doing that, there would be ample um, revenue uh, for for a fund to support journalism on independent radio and to ensure the continuation of um, of the content that people know and love because the and, trend and the Fianna Fáil motion is looking for more of uh, the licence fee money to be given to the independent broadcasters as well so that's a, a double cut in terms of what the government has uh, at its disposal already is it not? No, well, by increasing the uh, by increasing the effectiveness of the collection of the licence fee, mm. um, more money will be generated. And what the motion is calling for, and what we would support, would be the allocation of some of that money, not all of it. Um, you know, the lion's share of it would go to RT, the the state-owned national uh, broadcasting service, um, but the bulk of it would go to them, but there would be a reasonable amount of it uh, set aside for um, for the support of journalism on independent uh, local radio. Right, but they are independent commercial organisations, uh, and uh, if you're looking for that sort of state support, uh, what would you be willing to give in return? Would the independent broadcasters, for example, commit to paying a living wage? Um, that's not something that I have a, 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 an easy answer to, but I, I would personally be very open to that. Um, uh, the, the reality of it is, is that without some sort of intervention on that, the cost pressures on uh, on independent radio are going to uh, continue. Um, and obviously, the biggest cost uh, that we bear is in relation to the people we employ. So, uh, if if the if the uh, economic viability is assured, uh, employers will be in a better position to pay uh, more attractive salaries into the future. Two. But I would like to stress that it's not at any additional cost to uh, to licence pairs. Uh, I personally think that if, if, if this process was managed mm-hmm. properly, it might even be possible to bring in a small reduction uh, on uh, private licence fees. But there are some anomalies in, in the way that which the license is computed. So if I'm a person living on my own in an apartment and I have a television, I'm actually obliged to pay a license fee. Uh, and equally, if I, another person is the proprietor of a 200-bedroom hotel with televisions in every room, they're only obliged to um, pay one license fee as well, okay. which is €160. Euros. So in the context where the same hotel would be paying literally thousands to um, you know large uh, you know sports broadcasters and so on I think it it would be only right uh, that you know commercial use of television would would be increased and that would generate extra money as well All right, John I have to leave it there and stop you there or else I'll have some irate advertisers uh, on uh, the other end of the line but thank you for joining us on the line this morning John Purcell chairperson of the IBI the Independent Broadcasters of Ireland brings our programme to its conclusion today God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning Morning at 9 a.m. right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie.